Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the podcast by pastors for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And I'm Pastor Scott Stigmeyer. Our topic for today is bioethics, because you know that's what every Lutheran pastor thinks about in their spare time. You can find the show notes for this at thecruxofthematter.net slash podcast slash three. I really appreciate all of the responses we've gotten so far. This is our third episode, obviously, and uh, I feel like it's going pretty good. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that, Scott? Do you think it's going okay as a beginning here? <clears throat> yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm just grateful that people will be patient. And, you know, we're still kind of new to – Todd certainly is the expert of the two of us. And, um, you know, but we're still learning some of the ins and outs of the technology and how to how to edit and so forth. So um, we're hopeful that the quality of the, of the production will increase. But, um, you know, the content, we hope, is at least interesting to some of you. So if you have uh, questions – topics you think we should be covering, any of this stuff, uh, please email us. You can email us at feedback at the crux of the matter dot net. Or for that matter, you can email me at Todd at the crux of the matter dot net or Scott at Scott at the crux of the matter dot net. So I'll freely admit to know very, very little about bioethics. My co-host here, um, knows a lot more than I do. So to get us started, what is bioethics and why should I care as a Lutheran pastor? Well, um, <clears throat> you know, I actually get that question. <laughs> you know, I get that question from the members of my congregation who know that I've been studying this formally, officially kind of um, for a while. But I also get it from my family members and so on. And, you know, what is it? You know, I think people might have a, if they, if they kind of just pay attention to the word itself, they might have a concept that it has something to do with biology and it has something to do with ethics. Well, bioethics is basically just what the word sounds like. It has to do with biology and ethics. Um, or I will often say to people that it's the ethics of living things. So any kind of controversial issue that might emerge regarding technology and research and in and, and, and the medical field, a lot of times I will I'll just say to people, well, it's it's kind of like medical ethics. And then they they often will get it. But it's not exactly the same as medical ethics because medical ethics is more of a narrow, a narrow portion of bioethics. There are things within the field of bioethics that wouldn't that are not clinical things or not things that occur in a hospital, um, you know, like animal research, that might be a bioethical issue. Um, and, and, but so, so in general, it is simply studying the moral and ethical implications having to do with human life. That's, that's really the basic thing. So would that include everything from abortion to euthanasia to Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The I mean, topic on the, on the news today, basically. Yeah, almost. I mean, so any, like I said, as long as it has to do with human, not just human life. So, so it couldn't be like financial ethics or business ethics or something that would be obviously not part of bioethics, but anything to do with how you, how you treat your body, um, or, you know, or the, or the, or the bodily life of another. So yes, absolutely. Procreation, uh, whether that means fertility treatments or, um, of course, abortion is a big hot one that, you know, everybody will think of abortion and euthanasia or physician assisted suicide. And those are an end of life decision making. 
And those are really very, very big topics within bioethics. But it could also include other things like contraception. You know, within some Christian communities, that's a big that's a big question. Other Christians have not wrestled with that. And bioethics can be approached differently. I'm not a medical person, but if I but a lot of bioethicists are in fact medical professionals. They may be dirt nurses or doctors. I once heard a lecturer who is a pharmacist from Ireland, and he was very interested in certain bioethical questions, and it was quite good. Hmm. But And other bioethicists may be coming at it from the angle of public policy. Like I had a class by who was a lawyer, but he was interested in how to change public policy or, or work on the law uh, to protect and defend the dignity of human life. And I come from neither of those perspectives. I'm interested in them, and I'm, I'm a fairly well-read as a lay person in regard to the law and to medical science, but I come at it from the perspective of being a theologian and more specifically a pastor. And within the church, um, bioethics comes up really rather often. It's almost like (laughs) the joke I tell is like, you know how when you've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You know, you, you know, right. and so when you're studying bioethics, I start to see it almost all the pl- everywhere. So when I'm reading the Gospels, when Jesus heals the sick, how does Jesus treat the sick? Um, you know, how does he treat people who are afflicted with mental illness or demonic possession or physical illness differently? Those are bioethical studies, but there are also theological questions. And so I see them all the time. And when St. Paul writes about how in um, you know First Corinthians the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. That I that text to me is one of the most mysterious. The Lord is for the body and the body is for the Lord. That's a really interesting one. And there's plenty of places in the Bible where there's has something to do with uh, human life, starting with the creation account in Genesis one and two, especially Genesis two, the fall of course, in which where where death is introduced into human existence. That's a big problem. <laughs> then we've got the incarnation of the Son of God and everything from that to trying to understand what it means to be an embodied being, having a material body. Why are we? Why do we have bodies? Why, why aren't we angels? And, it's, and I don't mean to be speculative. I'm just saying that we're just grappling with the questions of what it means to have a body that gets old, that has diseases, that does eventually, until, unless the Lord returns, pass away, but we will also rise again and we will live in eternity as bodily creatures. And so we study that and we think about it and we see what implications there are for that, for us in those things. Well, let me, let me ask you this, Scott. I graduated from seminary 19 years ago. Uh, you did 20 years ago, if I recall. I didn't have any classes in bioethics. The closest I had was one was one tiny class in theological ethics, which frankly was a pretty much a waste of time. Yeah, go ahead and say it. <laughs> yeah. So how is it that this field, which seems like it is huge, all encompassing, goes everywhere and we got nothing? Is it a new field? Are we just that far behind as Lutheran pastors? What's the deal? Well, it's probably a little bit of yes to both those questions. Um, It it is a relatively new field, but um, you have to remember before medicine could do very much, (laughs) there really wasn't, you know, we we weren't wondering about the ethical implications of uh, putting an artificial heart in somebody until very recently. 
you know, this is, these are not old, not always old, old questions. Some of them are, you can look at the Hippocratic oath. Okay. We're talking about something that was written centuries before the birth of Jesus. And it forbids doctors giving abortifacient medicines. So, and you know, the, and the, of course, the most well-known part of the Hippocratic oath that doctors used to take in its original form, where it said, do no harm first, do no harm, you know? So that's an ethical injunction and it has right. to do with medical practice and, and it's very ancient. So to, to a certain extent, it's as old as there have, as long as there've been sick people and other people who want to take care of sick people, but ethical questions and by, you know, they wouldn't have called it bioethics perhaps, but that's, th those things have been grappled with at least that long. But as we have advanced in medical technology, and especially in the last 50, 60 years, we, now we can do organ transplants. We're doing face transplants. We have all these things like cosmetic surgeries that didn't exist a couple of generations ago or barely did. And that's one reason is because a lot of it is fairly new and it does take a while before people realize the importance of certain things. And technology changes very rapidly and, and the, the, the speed at which it changes is increasing exponentially, not, not just multiplying, but, you know, by many times it's, it's, it's rapidly increasing. I don't know if Lutherans are more, if us LCMS guys are more behind I think to an extent it might be, and both you and I went to the same seminary, and I know that our denomination has two seminaries, and then our sister seminary, they have had on staff there a medical doctor who is also um, a pastor, who I assume has taught some kind of bioethics courses, um, or some, or at least sections of courses have addressed some bioethical things. Is that Robert I, Weiss? Am I thinking yeah, that's the right who, name? That's who I have in mind. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And, and, but I think he's nearing retirement and he, he's, he's getting up there in years. I don't know him personally, but I know of him. And if we, that's what we would, that would be marvelous. If we could find somebody who has both an MD or PhD in, in, in the biological sciences that, and someone who was theologically trained. As Lutherans, we can look at this and see that there's a lot of implications, theological, personal. I know for me as a pastor, I deal with so many of these questions so often, but I don't think of them as bioethical questions. I think of them as this person has this huge problem or their loved one is on their deathbed and they're trying to decide when to pull the plug or whatever it is. Um, maybe the maybe a part of our challenge is that the word bioethics sounds like some sort of formal field of study, which it is, but it's but that it's academic. It doesn't actually matter to us. Yeah, you're on to something. Yes, the term is unfamiliar, but the actual practice of making ethical decisions in regard to human life has been around as long as human beings have existed and had to deal with illness and death. Bioethics kind of became um, uh, what, one thing that really changed in our society that made bioethics come to the fore as a discipline was the abortion, uh, the abortion law, Roe v. Wade. Sure. And it was after that when Christians really began to notice the implications of medical practice and 
Christian faith and how there can be a great deal of overlap. Because prior to that, we would we would all agree that doctors are healers. And that's a good thing. And that's a very, in fact, I would say it's a very Christ-like thing. I think that medical professionals in some ways are the closest to pastors in the sense of mod, being modeled after the ministry of Jesus. But suddenly with abortion, now we have doctors as killers and takers of human life. And, you know, there's so many other things nowadays with physician-assisted suicide. And now that we can prolong life with uh, by artificial means with respirators and, and different machines that artificially keep people going when in, not that long ago, these people would have just died because we couldn't do anything for them. And so these questions and it didn't wasn't even come, a question. Right, right, right. These questions just didn't come up with the same, with the same common uh, placeness as they do ha have, have right now. So in a, the word is kind of unfamiliar, but the concepts are old. Well, now let me, um, let me kind of pitch another question to you then. What I think about ethics as a Lutheran pastor, I think that we are sorely tempted to basically say no. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever the question is, the answer is probably no. Yeah. And so we tend to look at these things from a profoundly legalistic approach. And it kind of um it, it kind of scares me yeah. because I don't want to approach things that way. So how do we how do we get at this christologically so that I as a pastor am not simply going into a situation and saying, no. Now what's the question again? Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's part that is kind of a uh, you know, I think as Lutherans, we are uh you and I and, and others like us have been particularly well-trained, I think, to be sensitive to the law-gospel dynamic. And we want to make sure that the gospel predominates in our ministry and that we are not primarily just lawgivers. We're not just little Moseses running around. If anything, we're little Christs hoping to heal. You know, you don't see Jesus um, turning people away all that often and, and, and giving them uh, kind of a hard time. He does when they need it. Certainly. And so there are going to be times when no is the best answer. Um, hopefully with a lot of bioethical questions, we can deal. My advice to pastors and to church, church people, church leaders is it's better to deal with bioethical education when you're not in a hospital, when you're not a patient, when you're not standing at the bedside of a loved one, because then emotion and passion, you're not thinking clearly, you're exhausted, you're scared. And, you know, for the pastor to come in and say, well, wait a minute, you know, there might be ethical implications to blah, 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 blah. That's going to come across really, really harsh. But if so, pastors need to be prepared and, and host conferences and teach Bible studies and classes and, and, and make uh, appropriate application in their sermons when the texts permit that. And uh, so that people have an awareness of what it means to treat human life with utmost respect. That's what we're really getting at. It's not about saying no and ha having a long list of prohibitions. It's about treating other human beings. It's the fifth commandment, Martin Luther's explanation of the fifth commandment, that we want to help our neighbor preserve his life. That's what we're trying to do. Right, right. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and that, uh, and of course, when you look at the fifth commandment, you really, at least it always strikes me, that the positive is almost more significant than the negative. Um, yeah. Obviously, don't murder, don't take life, but defend. <laughs> right. 
but but to actually yeah. do something to help another person is kind of the point. Well, it really is. It's not just don't kill me. It's also help me, help me, you know. And I think that a, a, a marvelous bioethical text is the story of the Good Samaritan because you've sure. got this man who has been injured. He is specifically described as being wounded and lying by the side of the road and who will, we can fairly deduce, die if someone does not intervene. And you have these religious scholars who walk by and pass him by knowingly, and they don't, they are not guilty of actively killing him, but by their inaction, they are being indicted by Jesus as being guilty of his life. And it is the good man who says, I'm going to put my agenda aside and my schedule aside, and I'm going to inconvenience myself to save this other person. And he binds his wounds, right, and pours oil on his wounds. And then he goes and he spends his own money to put this man up in a hotel and he's in an inn. And he says, and if that's not enough, I'll come back and I'll pay you more. We are responsible for the lives of one another. We do have a divine responsibility for caring for people, not simply do no harm, but do good, do good to one another. And that is exactly what makes it godlike. What makes human life, I believe, godlike is that we are in, in the active, not just avoiding evil, but doing good. And this is where things like um, parish nurse programs, often deaconess programs, there are many things in congregations very concretely that we can do this in. And, and again, I know that me as a, as a conservative type Lutheran pastor, I grew up in a culture and, and really in a sense where these sort of things don't really matter because it's not actually <laughs> preaching the gospel. And so it's kind of like a waste maybe or a necessary evil or something like that. And, and that, that tension is very real. I can, I can sense it in my own congregation and my congregation is very engaged in this. We have a deaconess. We do wonderful work in, in a lot of different areas here. But it is, uh, but it is a real, it, it's a real struggle sometimes to kind of understand how do we as as pastors and as congregations navigate this these distinctions, which I'm not even sure how much how much difference there is in Jesus' ministry. He doesn't actually say to the, you know, to the to blind Bartimaeus, "Excuse me, while I preach to you before I heal you." No, he doesn't. Uh, right? Those kind of distinctions don't matter. Now, last I checked, I'm not Jesus and neither are you. But how does no, that but, shape our ministry? That's the question. But you see, we are in the ministry of Jesus. We are in he, Jesus passed on his authority to forgive sins to his disciples. And the forgiveness of sins in the Gospels is frequently tied to physical healing as it is it in the is. book of as it is also in the book of James. Physical healing and the and absolution are meant to be together, okay? And the apostles were not just commissioned. If you read the gospel texts, the apostles were not just commissioned to go and declare spiritual facts 
or propositional truths about God and, and eternal life. They are to teach and preach, but they were also given the authority to cast out demons and to heal the sick, and they did. And they even did that after Jesus ascended. So their preaching and their healing, um, they continued the ministry of Jesus. And Todd, I believe this very firmly. If we confess the apostles or the Nicene Creed and we say every single divine service that we believe that our church is apostolic, what does that mean? In what sense are we the church of the apostles? Not just, well, the apostles preached and healed and we only preach. No, I, I, I don't buy that. I think whatever can be said of the apostolic ministry is is to be said of the church today. Now, that doesn't mean I will, you or I may have the gift of miraculous healing, but I can offer, you know, cold water to a, a thirsty person just as easily as if I were St. Paul, you know, and I can, I can lift up my fallen brother and I can help one another. Now that might take the diff different forms. And you mentioned the parish nursing program or a deaconess program, which our denomination has, and which we, you and I know you and I both have talked about this. We both think that's a wonderful thing. And I talked to a, I'm at, I'm happened to be at one of our seminaries this week uh, for a class. And I was talking today, this morning with uh, one of the deaconess students here that I happen to know, and you know her too. Her name is Rachel. But before she came here to study to be a deaconess and a servant in the church, assistant to a pastor in a church somewhere, she uh, went to nursing school and became a nurse. And, and so she's actually going to have that nursing skill as well as being trained theologically to be a servant in the church, to serve you know, one another in whatever capacity she is able to. I think that, that any church is going to be blessed to have her and any one of any number of others like her. And, and, you know, or, or have a male person too. I mean, but our, our church has like a particular office for deaconesses. But someone who can be designated to do human care issues that, you know, so that we're not, you know, and it's, we're not always going to be um, able to wait on tables, so to speak, you know, as it says in the book of Acts. We do primarily have a ministry of word and prayer. But healing must be part of right. the church's ministry if we want to be called apostolic, I believe. Hmm. Yeah, I obviously I agree with you. I do think that that is that that's going to become a bigger and bigger deal for us in the United States as our as our political system continues to erode. Uh, never mind talking about things like insurance, medical care. It's, oh yeah, it's coming, and I don't think that we're anywhere near ready, but it's coming anyways. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. And I think churches, this is why we're doing this podcast on this topic, I guess, because if if you're listening to this and if you're a lay person in a, in a congregation, even, you know, whether it's Lutheran or not Lutheran, you know, if you're or if you're a pastor or an aspiring pastor, know these things. Be aware that human beings are not just souls to be saved and to be liberated from the prison house of their bodies on the on the day of their death that we are bodily creatures, we are body souls, you know, and the body is the instrument of the soul, so to speak. And so, and you will live for eternity in a body. It will be glorified and free of sin and corruption. But, um, you know, the, the bodily nature of human life 
um, we if we if we'd sort of diminish that in our church life and to like you you were saying earlier and I under, and I totally understand where you're coming from where we kind of see that as somehow less important than talking about spiritual matters well yes of course the, the, you know if we're gonna hi- put things in a hierarchy the spirit is in a higher level than the body in a hierarchical way because I'd rather lose my leg than lose my spirit you know um, I but, think Jesus may have even said something like yeah that. exactly exactly it's better to you know you don't want to lose your soul. Um, so yes, if we're going to put things in sort of a hierarchy, the spirit is higher, but, but we don't have to do that. And, and we are in fact, whole beings, body and spirit. And, um, that doesn't mean doc pastors need to be, you know, doctors and that they somehow neglect the preaching of the word, but that somehow as congregations, we are paying more attention to one another's needs, one another's physical needs. Jesus didn't just heal sick people. He also fed hungry people. He took care of people. And I think congregations have that calling to take care of people. I have a feeling we'll be coming back to this topic, which is just fine. <laughs> Um, but I think that we've covered enough on that for right now. Um, this is the point in the show where we have, at least for the last couple times, kind of asked the question, what's giving you joy? And I know that you're teaching a class, so uh, you may not have a lot of joy right now. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm having, I'm, having, I'm, a, I'm having but, excessive um, amounts. Uh, I'm sure you are. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to mention something which is totally goofy and off the wall for me. And um, and that is simply that I love fountain pens. I know you know that. <laughs> yeah, um, I didn't expect you Fountain pens to say are a completely analog, a completely old school. They're about as non-computerish as you can get. They're finicky. They take work. And I absolutely love them. Do you Pardon have good penmanship? I'm sorry. Do you have good penmanship? Um, it's better now than it was a few years ago. Uh, I won't say good, but I will say better. Uh. One of the things I really like about fountain pens is that they force you to slow down in your writing. It kind of forces you to think. I write a fair amount of my sermons out longhand with a fountain pen before I type them up. Wow. And for those of you who don't know me, I am a computer nerd from the get-go. So... So I, one of the ways that I enjoy this hobby is I listen to a podcast. The podcast is called The Pen Addict, the <laughs> penaddict.com. Totally ridiculous. Two guys, one of them's British, one of them's American. And they talk about this crazy hobby and they have thousands and thousands of people that follow them. It's, it's really kind of insane. Totally unlike anything else that I listen to or do. But it's fun and I enjoy it. Wow, that's Anything awesome. Anything else can make you happy? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, this is going to sound, um, I mean, I think what you just mentioned is actually kind of a delightful thing to hear about, you know, that it's not something that I was expecting and it's just a cool thing. Um, I'm going to be, some, I'm going to be a little more dull and I'm just going to show a book. I mean, I, a, a book that I'm, you know, I think I it's like obvious books. that, well, yeah, I think it's obvious that you and I take pleasure from books. So that's nothing unexpected, but this particular book and, um, you know, is by, um, uh, 
the deceased Pope John Paul II. Now they call him Saint Paul, John Paul the Great, whatever. Um, you know, it, I, I obviously have my differences with Roman Catholicism, and I, and I don't agree with everything that is taught by by John Paul II. But he wrote a book that's essentially called The Theology of the Body, and just right along with this whole theme that we've been going with. It's really, really a very useful text. It's not, it's not short and it's not easy to read some places, but I think especially if you're a pastor or have a real interest in theology and possibly bioethics that you want to get this book and a theology of the body, John Paul II, or there's other books about it that are commentaries and they're shorter. And those are usually pretty good too, because it will open up your eyes in a way. Cause he, he whether, whether you like, um, uh, you know, if you're a Protestant, you maybe not be want to admit too loud that you like a pope. He really was a remarkable thinker, and I think we want to give him a little bit of a credit for that, and and be thankful that God has used him in in what I think is going to be a very helpful way in the coming years. Awesome, thank you, and we'll awesome. put that in the show notes as well. So I think that'll wrap it up for us for this week. Thanks to all of our listeners. Again, you can find us at thecruxofthematter.net. You can also contact us through feedback at thecruxofthematter.net. And we will look forward to hearing from you next time. See you later. Goodbye. Was that okay? Oh, it was awesome. Okay, good.